Welcome to this week's podcast, everyone. This is Rico, and of course, this is Treks in Sci-Fi. We're at show number 86 for November the 12th, 2006. Going to do an episode of the series Enterprise today, along with some collectible talk, uh, sci-fi news, and other geeky goodness. So stand by. Here we go. In a long road, getting from there to it's been a long time, but my time is finally near. I will see my dream come alive at last. I will touch the sky, and they're not gonna hold me down no more. No, they're not gonna change my mind. Cause again everyone this is Rico and here we go with another podcast for the weekend yes it's uh it's been a fun week it was my birthday as I talked about on my last little mini cast in the middle of the week so that was enjoyable and it's also today is my wife's birthday which I am still trying to convince to do a short segment on the show we will uh continue on that tact for a while it's uh I think I've got uh Got some kind of a commitment from her for a few minutes of time sometime, but it's uh, it's a little tricky. She's uh, rather busy these days with uh, her teaching and, and schoolwork and things like that. So uh, she teaches high school, teaches foreign language, and it, it keeps her rather busy during the school year. So I will try to get a few minutes of her time sometime in the near future. This, um, this podcast today, we, I thought I'd cover an episode of the TV series, the last Star Trek TV series, Enterprise, I've done one other on the pilot episode of it, and I thought it was due to do another one. This is a, a first season episode called The Andorian Incident, which is what we'll be talking about uh, over the majority of this week's podcast, along with uh, some other news and information. But first, a message from a listener. Hey, Rico, this is Joby. Just saw the message on the board. Uh, mentioning it's your birthday, so I wanted to call and wish you a very happy birthday. Um, may you live long and prosper. Bye now. Hey, Joby, thanks a lot for that uh, happy birthday message. Always uh, always good to hear from you and, and other people. Uh, wanted to uh, mention a few things uh, about the forums and the website TrekSF or treksinsci-fi.com. Both of those will get you to the main website for this show if you're fairly new. Also, always great to get an, uh, another vote for the month at Podcast Alley, and there are, is a link to vote right off the main webpage you can find there. I wanted to say a couple people have uh, found it uh, in the goodness of their hearts to send a, a, a little PayPal donation to the show 
in the uh, in the last few weeks, and I really appreciate it. Uh, it's really uh, great to get those. I am looking right now at getting a new microphone for the show. This one is is pretty good, but I, I'd like to step it up a notch and get something a little bit better. And, and also, this will give me a nice spare mic for uh, those times where I can get somebody else uh, in studio, so to speak, to be on the show. So uh, anyone who uh, feels like it, you know, if you got a five, ten dollars, you feel like you know you're you're really enjoying the podcast, perhaps, and uh, I'd really appreciate it. There's a PayPal donation link on the main page if you feel like that. Uh, no big thing. Uh, this show is is uh, pretty much funded by me, and you know I haven't spent a lot of money on it, but uh, there is some website hosting and equipment purchases and things like that. At, if you feel like it, it's, it's again, no big thing. Oh, on that tact, also, I do have a few t-shirts still left, and I think I have a, maybe one or two, a couple extra large, and maybe three or four larges. There's still a link on the main webpage. They're $25 each if you're interested in a t-shirt. I think they came out really nice. Everyone seems to be really enjoying them that, that I've already uh, sent them off to that have bought them. So, uh, again, you'll see pictures off the w- website if you just go to the, tr- the Trek SF website, and the t-shirt link will take you there. Okay, let's uh, get into a little bit of uh, sci-fi and Star Trek news and information. I mentioned a few things on the midweek show, some Star Trek news. Uh, it's showing going to be showing uh, streaming on TVLand.com. Uh, they're going to sh- start offering episodes for download off the Microsoft service via Xbox Live. Uh, with an Xbox 360, you'll be able to do that in the near future. So uh, the uh, sci-fi news, one story that that couple stories caught my attention this week. Uh, one, David Icke, who works on Battlestar Galactica with Ron Moore, is developing a television, a sci-fi television series for the Fox Network called Them. It's basically some kind of a sci-fi invasion tale. Uh, don't really have a lot of details at this time about it, but I, I really admire what he and Ron Moore are doing on Battlestar Galactica, so I, I'll definitely pay attention to the further developments on this series information and news. Uh, I'm curious, though, if this really happened, if he would uh, pull back away from working on Battlestar Galactica or if he would uh, if he would pull like a J.J. Abrams and work on multiple uh, TV series at the same time, which, which would be kind of strange, I think, especially since they're on different networks completely. But we'll have to see how that turns out. I'm still uh, following the uh, TV show's Jericho. Uh, I wanted to mention that it's going to be taking a little hiatus, a little time off, Towards the end of November, I think there's maybe one or two, maybe two episodes left showing in the States at least. Uh, not really sure when the other parts of the world, uh, for people listening in other areas, when you get these shows, if you get them. Uh, I don't think a lot of countries get them as, as we do in the States, but it's going to take a break, just like uh, Lost is doing, which I'm still watching, even though it uh, frustrates me at times. But they're both taking a break till around February, I think, and splitting the season up, doing sort of a short little group of episodes, maybe eight or so, and then the bulk of them will will start up in about February till the end of the year. The idea with this, uh, the breaks in these series uh, situations that are going is to avoid reruns. I guess they feel that reruns will, you know, interspersing reruns in a series, especially with an ongoing storyline, really confuses the viewers, and it's better to just sort of have it go off the air so that when it does come back, it can just show... Uh, all the way through. Uh, in my opinion, the best way to do it is is the way they do it on the TV show 24, which, which I love and have watched since it started, 
where they started up later in the year. 24 right now is starting it in January, starting up again. And they just start up and then they go continuous uh, through till the end of the year. No reruns, no repeats, uh, and very few, I think, missed weeks at all. And just show it straight on through. You know, these these TV series, they usually do in the low 20s numbers of episodes, 20, 22, 24, uh, does 24 episodes. And obviously there's 52 weeks in a year, so it can't show year-round. It can show for maybe about half the year for about six months. Well, the the traditional TV series has always been from September to to June or so, May, and that that's obviously longer than six months, so they usually do reruns. Now on shows that are not these continuing saga-type stories, reruns aren't that big a thing. But when you have a continuous series like uh, Lost Does and Jericho and 24, it's very hard to throw a rerun in there, I think. And uh, I think that it's good that they're looking at different ways of doing it. I I still think they got a ways to go. I think there's some people that are going to be frustrated with these shows starting up and then being gone for a couple of months before uh, you get more information. But that's the situation with Jericho and with Lost. Uh, We'll see how it works out for them. On the on movie news and information and, and things like that, uh, of course, we have the new James Bond film coming out this coming Friday, uh, November uh, 17th. Really looking forward to that. Uh, actually, a good friend of mine works for MGM Studios, which does the Bond movies. He's sort of in international area distribution and that uh, works out in, in California. So, uh, hey, if you're listening, Joe, uh, hello. <laughs> Anyway, uh, he's uh, he usually can give me a little of the inside scoop on, on James Bond and, and the new movies, and he's uh, he's been saying this one's looking pretty good. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how Daniel Craig does in the new role in the role of James Bond, the, the new Bond. Uh, I'll probably be seeing Casino Royale next weekend when it comes out. Uh, hopefully, uh, it'll it'll be good. I, I think the trailers look really good for it. I, I think it's good that they're. Uh, you know, kind of taking Bond back to the beginning, a little less, you know, heavy gadgets and things like that, and a little a tougher Bond and, and, a, and a more uh, uh, realistic, I think, characterization of him. So we'll see how that goes. I'm looking forward to a Casino Royale. The other bit of movie news that I wanted to mention is there was a new Spider-Man 3 trailer that premiered on, well, it was on MTV on last Thursday night, and it is also, of course, all over the internets right now. I think iFilm.com has it uh, in various sizes and, and file sizes and formats. But this Spider-Man 3 trailer for the movie next summer, coming out on May, uh, early in May, like May 4th, I think, it uh, it looks good. You know, this is the Spider-Man film. It's got a little, multiple villains in it, unlike the last couple where it was really just one villain that uh, Spidey or Peter Parker had to deal with. There, there's uh, a few of them in this next one. I'm not going to say too much if you're trying to not learn that much, although most of this is given away in the, the trailers. I think they're giving away quite a bit, actually. But uh, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I think Sam Raimi uh, has done a great job with the Spider-Man movies. I've read Spider-Man comics for for literally decades, and he's probably my favorite superhero uh, in comics. I, I, I've always really I kind of identified with Spider-Man you know, a lot of things go wrong in his life, but he still perseveres, and, and I think that's a good message, and I, I really, at least personally, kind of identify with that, and I, I really have always admired the character of uh, Peter Parker and how he deals with things. He's gone through a lot in his life, and, and he still keeps on going, so uh, he, he's uh, probably, like I said, my favorite superhero in the first two Spider-Man films, even though there are a few changes 
and and they were movies. You know, a lot, a lot of things a little bit different than the comics. I, I think Sam really gets the comics. He's a Spider-Man fan, and he did a great job. And I think Tobey Maguire really does a great job with with the roles of both Peter Parker and Spider-Man. I, I think he was almost an ideal choice. I, I really think he's a good actor, and I think he really pulls it off very well. So, uh, of course, I'm really looking forward to Spider-Man 3, and the trailers that I've seen so far, wow, I mean, it's it looks good. And I almost am a little worried with this third one that they've taken off or, or trying to do too much in it, but we'll see. I, I have a lot of confidence in the production team and everyone involved, so uh, looking forward to that coming out next spring. And I think with that, we're going to, let's switch F into uh, getting into the uh, the Star Trek episode for this week. Uh, this one, of course, is, like I said, an Enterprise episode. And the name of the episode is called The Andorian Incident. I'm going to play the, the very short, this is only about 20 seconds long. This is the preview uh, off, of, uh, off of the web of the episode. So here we go with uh, The Andorian Incident. They haven't been heard from since the original Star Trek series. Now, the Andorians are back. Don't get your antennas in a twist. With a vengeance. I'll enjoy having you as a prisoner. Enterprise, an all-new episode. Uh, the episode, The Andorian Incident, uh, with uh, the crew of the Enterprise, the last Star Trek series, Captain Archer, Paul, Trip. Tucker and all that. Uh, this uh, was a very early uh, in the first season episode of Enterprise. This was the sixth episode to air, the first one being the two-hour pilot, and this was the sixth episode. So it was pretty early in Enterprise, but I think it's a good episode. I think there's some things that happen in this episode that that sort of reverberate throughout the rest of the series, especially the Andorians and the character of Shran. Let me give you a little background. This first premiered uh, at the... Um, at the end of October in 2001, October uh, uh, being, uh, you know, pretty early in the season, of course, it was written by Rick Berman, Brennan Braga, and a guy named Fred Decker, who was probably the guy that came up with the idea of the story. Usually, you know, when Rick Berman and, and, and Brannon work on an episode, it's like they wrote it, but somebody else comes in with the pitch or the idea. Uh, the interesting thing here, it was directed by Roxanne Dawson, and she was, of course, on Voyager. She was the uh, half Vulcan, half human. Uh, did I say half Vulcan? Excuse me, half. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. Yes, uh, that that was a mistake. Uh, she was, of course, the half Klingon, half human uh, engineer uh, character on Voyager. Uh, Milana Torres, who eventually hooks up with Tom Paris and all that. So Roxanne Dawson, the actress, uh, I think she directed maybe an episode or two of Voyager. Or maybe she didn't. I'd have to look that up. And I'm not going to right now because I want to get off into uh, this episode more. But I just thought it was interesting that she was the director of this episode of Enterprise. Uh, the character, um, Tom Paris's character, Robert Duncan McNeil, is also a pretty good director these days. And I think he has also directed a couple of Enterprise episodes when he was... Uh, when Enterprise was filming. So, you know, that's kind of nice that they've had a chance to do that. Jonathan Frakes became a director uh, via uh, TNG, and uh, Patrick Stewart did a little bit of direction also. So a lot of people, a lot of the actors eventually, seems like in Star Trek, Leonard Nimoy, of course, uh, go on to do some directing, uh, William Shatner and, and so forth. But anyway, let's get back to the Enterprise episode. This episode, the basic thrust of this episode is... The Enterprise decides uh, that there is a Vulcan-like monastery kind of place 
along their course that they're going to take a little uh, detour, not much of a detour because it's all along their course, and they're going to go for a little visit at this uh, sort of, it's a Vulcan retreat, and there's an audio clip here I have coming up in a second that describes that uh, that information about the, the area. And, uh, they, well, they run into, uh, not what they expect, they kind of run into a little hostage situation. The Andorians have... Uh, in sort of uh, brought a little group down to the monastery, and they're looking for uh, a listening post. They, uh, the the background is that the Andorians and the Vulcans are in neighboring, are fairly close uh, uh, star systems out there in the galaxy, and they don't really trust each other. Especially the Andorians don't really trust the Vulcans. They're uh, they've had some disputes and, and some skirmishes, and there's sort of this uneasy truce between the two of them in a treaty. But uh, neither one really trusts the other, especially the Andorians do not trust the Vulcans. And they, uh, they go to this uh, monastery place looking for, uh, they think there's sort of some kind of a long-range listening post there. And they're searching for it. Well, and the Enterprise and Archer and company uh, stumble into this situation. So that's the story. And the, the one main Andorian character turns up in a lot of later episodes of Enterprise. He's played by Jeffrey Combs, a really good actor. Uh, he plays the character of Shran in this episode, the Andorian uh, leader of the the ship uh, that he's on, and he's the he's basically their captain. He's the counterpart to Archer, and he played the character of Wayun, if you remember the Vorta uh, person that was on Deep Space Nine in the last few seasons. He was on uh, that show. Jeffrey Combs, the actor, played that character Wayun on Deep Space Nine. So he is playing the character Shran in this episode. This Andorian character. Uh, and um, so that's the episode. Now let's get into some of the detail. Uh, this is, again, still early in the series, early in the series of Enterprise. And to Paul, uh, you know, her Vulcan character is still very uneasy and not really, um, well, she's not really part of the crew as much yet. You know, there it's basically a ship of humans, except for the flocks, the doctor on Enterprise. And to Paul is still a little uh, uneasy with the whole situation. But I'm going to play a clip here. This will be uh, early in the episode. This is with uh, T'Pol, uh, Trip, and Archer in his ready room talking about uh, going to this uh, planet uh, with the monastery on it called Pajem. So listen to this. Pajem. I take it this Pajem is under Vulcan jurisdiction? It's an ancient spiritual retreat, a remote sanctuary for Kolinar and peaceful meditation. Kolinar? The Vulcan purging of emotion. That sounds interesting. How do you think they'd feel about a visit? Pajam is a place of quiet contemplation, Captain. I'm not certain we'd be welcome. It's because Vulcans think we smell bad, isn't it? It's not every day we get a chance to see an ancient Vulcan monastery. I'd say a stopover is too good to pass up. Unless you disagree. I'll research the proper protocols. Good. Archer to helm. Go ahead, sir. Prepare to lay in a course correction. T'Pol will give you the coordinates. Understood. Yeah, so uh, so T'Pol's not too keen about going to this place. Uh, just realized I say uh, not too keen uh, on things a lot. Is that a goofy way to say things? I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, uh, she's she's uh, reluctantly allowing them uh, or getting information for them to go to this pajem monastery and it's uh i like the idea that there's this vulcan little outpost place out there that vulcans sort of go to this little retreat to 
to to sort of you know purge their emotions, do the Colinar thing that Spock was trying to do at the beginning of the motion picture. Uh, nice connection there to that uh, the character of Trip in that scene, of course, played by uh, Connor Trenier is really great. Uh, I've always uh, thought he was one of the most interesting and fun characters on Enterprise. A lot of personality there, and you know, good old boy, uh, kind of uh, engineer and. And it added a lot to the show. So so they're off to Pajem. Uh, but they're going to run into some things they didn't expect, of course, which uh, which this next uh, clip will show. Now, uh, you know, they, they did a few things with the makeup on. This was, of course, the first time Andorians had been seen, I believe, basically, except maybe in some background shots uh, since the original Star Trek, uh, since the original series, since Kirk and Spock and McCoy's era. Where uh, you know they never really brought him into the into the mix in TNG or Deep Space Nine or Voyager, and they they one of the things they were trying to do in Enterprise uh, quite often was to to bring in aliens and little little touches that that hinted back towards the original series since this series was supposed to take place actually uh, years you know about uh, what was it supposed to be about a hundred years yeah about a hundred years before. Uh, the, or the original Star Trek series with uh, Kirk and Spock. So they, they, you know, they brought in the Andorians, the Tellarites show up at one point, uh, qu- quite a few others, the Gorns, uh, a tiny bit of the Romulans uh, in that. So so this uh, was interesting. And the, the makeup that they did I thought was really nice, the way they, they did these Andorians on Enterprise. The antennae that they used uh, could move around. They actually had a little slight mechanical servos and things like that, uh, you know, in the makeup and in the headpieces that they put on them to make them move. You know, it's not animated. It's not CGI Andorian antennae. It's, uh, they actually were mechanical and would move around on the set, which was, uh, which was pretty cool, I thought. Uh, you know, that was, uh, a nice little touch and a lot different than when the Andorian showed up on the original Star Trek series and the antennae just kind of hung there and, wiggled around a little bit when, when somebody would bump into them or in that fight in Journey to Babel when Kirk and that Endorian are fighting, you know, one breaks off eventually, which is uh, which is discovered he's not really a true Endorian. But that's another story which I've already covered in a previous podcast. So um, let's move along. The next clip is, uh, this is after uh, the that uh, Trip and T'Pol and Archer have beamed down to the monastery and they discover it's, you know, the Vulcans are being held hostage by this group of Andorians. And the the clip that I'm going to play here is a Shran and trying to get information from them. So listen to this. This planet was along our course. We only came to visit the sanctuary. Liar. What's your mission? Are you a supply ship bringing them more surveillance equipment? We're not bringing them anything. You brought her? She's my science officer. So you admit you're working with the Vulcans? I'll admit I have a Vulcan science officer and that I came here out of curiosity. Now, if you don't mind my asking, what are you doing here? Hey! He's telling the truth. We came for a visit. That's all. We scanned your ship in orbit. You're very well armed for people who came for a visit. You and the pink skins have proven what we already knew. This is far more than a sanctuary. 
Yeah, that uh, is Jeffrey Combs playing Shran there in that scene primarily. it's uh, He really does a great job here. He's very uh, hyper-emotional, like the Andorians are supposed to be pretty much hotheads. And it really a big contrast with the Vulcans, who are all these monks kind of sitting around there, you know, very calm, not trying to do anything, fight back or anything like that. And then the humans caught in the middle. And I like Shran's, uh, you know, little sort of derogatory little uh, comment about the, the pink, stin, pink, pink skin comment. You know, he starts calling Archer and any humans that he runs into in this episode and in future episodes, pink skins. You know, obviously they have blue skin. The Vulcans sort of have a greenish kind of skin. Uh, very slight, of course. You don't really see it very well on, on, on TV. But, you know, they have a, a different kind of blood chemistry. And, and then Shran, of course, calling the humans pink skins uh, kind of sticks. And it's kind of funny, I, I think, which is uh, good. And Archer gets uh, he gets kind of the, the, the crap beat out of him in this episode. He gets beat up a lot. You know, they're questioning him, punching him up around. I'm kind of wondering why they only worked on him. But I suppose since he was the captain, they figured he would be the best one to uh, torment and, and all that. Although I, think, I guess they could have taken Trip and said, you know, hey, we're going to kill him unless you tell us what what we know, want to know or, or something. But they, they didn't really want to go that far. And uh, later on, even when they're having a, a little bit of a firefight with the with the, the Endorian weapons and that, you, you notice that they're not really uh, anytime anyone. There's a couple of people that get hit with them and they get hit. They get hit by the weapons, but they're set for stuns. So the Endorians, while being there and trying to find out what's going on and suspecting the Vulcans of hiding some kind of listening post, they're uh, they're still not ready to kill anyone or do anything super drastic. So uh, so that I think is good. And this is um, this is the the Archer's crew and and himself. This is the first introduction of uh, the Andorians to to him. So this is uh, another one of those times where he's caught off guard and T'Pol kind of has to fill him in on things. But um, but anyway, the next clip. This one. Uh, Archer is being, I think, questioned again a little bit, and the communicators start to beep that they've taken off of uh, Trip and Paul and Archer. The communicators beep, and Shran decides to answer one of the uh, the communicators, and he talks to Malcolm, who's left uh, back on the ship, back on the Enterprise, and is in command at the time. And Malcolm dis- finds out at this point, well, uh, the, the people that went down there are in a little bit of trouble. So listen to this clip. Enterprise. Yes? I'm looking for Captain Archer. He's a prisoner of the Andorian Imperial Guard. We know you're in collaboration with the Vulcans. Let me talk to the captain. Your ship is under constant surveillance. Arm your weapons, or make any attempt to approach the surface, and I'll kill the hostages. Wait! I've lost the signal. Try to pull. Or Commander Tucker. Response. Have launch bay put shuttle pod two on standby. You heard what he said. If we try to send more people, I don't take orders from a convoy, Sensen. Not unless that voice belongs to the captain. Take a look at the Vulcan database. See if it has anything on these Andorians. Aye, sir. Yeah, that's uh, that's Dominic Keating playing uh, the character Malcolm Reed, who's their uh, 
an enterprise as a sort of uh, security chief, weapons officer, does does a real good job. I heard a podcast uh, oh, quite a long time ago with uh, uh, Dominic and Anthony Montgomery, who plays Travis. Um, the uh, the two of them are pretty funny together. They there, there was obviously a real good camaraderie between the actors on this show. Uh, like I think most of Star Trek series uh, have usually had, it's um, I don't know if that's common throughout television series. I, I maybe it is or, or whatever, but it seems like uh, just about every uh, series of for Star Trek at least. Every time I've ever heard from any of the actors, whether they've been on uh, a convention or on television or, or whatever or on podcasts these days, talking about the show. They all seem to really mesh together real well and uh, enjoy enjoy each other's company a lot, which I think really comes through on the performances and on screen. It really helps a lot, and and as the series goes on, that comes out even more uh, on Enterprise in the later seasons, season three and four especially. So, uh, so there, Malcolm's in charge. He's he's gonna mount, try to mount a rescue, and it's. Uh, you know that's that's his way. He 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 doesn't like to sit around. And there's a few scenes in this episode that I thought are kind of funny, where where he's talking about what standard procedures and protocol should be. Uh, there are uh, the Enterprise is just kind of new out there exploring the galaxy, and you know Starfleet hasn't set a lot of uh, of their standard uh, procedures. I know one thing Malcolm always tries to get going is different tactical alert status. You know, red alert, yellow alert, and what all that means throughout the series. And he starts to mention a few things in this episode, like, hey, you know, there should be sort of calm check-in times, because uh, Hoshi says a couple times to Malcolm, well, you know, it's not like they're, you know, they got to call in any particular time. And, and he says, well, they should, you know, it's like they should have like a, you know, a 30-minute w- interval or an hour interval where they should check in or, or something. There should be standard procedures for this kind of thing. And, you know, you kind of, eh, you kind of wonder, maybe that should have already been set up. You would think Archer and they would have gotten together and said, hey, any landing party, doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing or what's going on, there'd be some procedures in place to, you know, they're going to alien worlds, alien environments. You never know what's going to happen. I don't care if they're on a on a vacation or on shore leave. Uh, there should be some kind of situation of check-in in that. So um, yeah, it's a little hard to believe that they don't have all that set up. But, uh, you know, they were trying to show that this was early in Starfleet's history and a lot of things were getting set up to begin with for the first time. So uh, let's move on. It gets to be, uh, there's a little clip here I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, there's, a, there's a clip at night where they're all being uh, still held prisoner, Archer, Trip, and Paul inside the, the temple or sanctuary, monastery, whatever it is. And it, it gets rather cold at this place at night. And Vulcans, of course, remember Vulcans are a very warm planet. And they're a lot more sensitive to the cold than humans are. And T'Pol's getting a little cold. And there's a neat little scene here where there's only a couple little blankets. And Archer's like saying, hey, you know, T'Pol, come on over here. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you warm. <laughs> you know, not that way. But the, uh, the just, uh, you know, share a little body heat, share the one blanket that they have. And then they talk a little bit about the, the human smell thing, which was, uh, it started out that the Vulcans are a lot more, uh, have a lot more, um, they're a lot more sensitive to smell. They can smell uh, a lot more heightened than humans can, like, yeah, I don't know, like a dog or whatever. But that T'Pol being on Enterprise has actually had to take some uh, injections to sort of deaden her, her smell sense so she could handle the, the stench of the humans. Because I guess even with sonic showers and, you know, futuristic deodorants out there that the uh, the Vulcans still don't like the smell of humans on, on a in the close quarters of a starship. So uh, so we'll play the clip for you. Here we go. 
There's room in here. I'm fine. You're freezing. It's been 24 hours since I took my nasal numbing agent. The cold is preferable to the odor. Come on. assault would put all of our lives at risk not to mention the destruction of the sanctuary itself i'd say our lives are already at risk tensions between andoria and vulcan are high any casualties would only make matters worse it seems like you're letting them walk all over you they come in here they smash your relics they beat up your people then you just sit back and wait for them to walk away we don't believe in responding to violence with violence. I admire your ethics. But right now, a little violence might help. You're beginning to sound like an Endorian. You know, I came here hoping to gain a little insight into the Vulcan mind. It looks like I'm getting it. The tensions between the, the Starfleet and humans and the Vulcans, especially Archer, had sort of a, a chip on his shoulder because of uh, things that happened with his father and the Vulcans uh, when he was young. Uh, the Vulcans kind of kept uh, Earth behind a little, even though they had technology and could help them with warp drive and, and all that. Uh, Archer kind of resents everything you know, that they did to his father, and that comes through in this episode a little bit and comes through in the series, and eventually he gets over that uh, pretty easy. You know, I wouldn't say easily, but... You know, he's a Starfleet captain, and he's got a Vulcan science officer uh, who is uh, he has to depend on a lot, and they get past their prejudices and their preconceived notions eventually uh, in the series, which is which is good, and that's what Star Trek again is is one of its guiding principles and, and situations is that you know we're all in this together, we all need to get along, and you know the edict, uh, infinite diversity and infinite combinations situation, which the Vulcans. Uh, adhere to uh, is is very important. Uh, one interesting thing about this episode that's that's a little different is that these Vulcans on this uh, this monastery, this sanctuary, they're they're basically lying. You know, most of them. It doesn't really come out exactly who knows about this. This I'm not giving it away because I think I already said it. But there is this listening base there. But the Andorians and they they you know they've been telling the Andorians, nope, no no listening post here. Move along. And they tell the humans the same thing. And some of them, at least the head guy, has got to know that that's the case. I think there's a couple of them, actually, that know. There's sort of his... Yeah, he has sort of a, another guy that, that helps um, a trip find a, a, an old uh, communications device which allows them to give a signal to the Enterprise, send a little signal in these tunnels and everything underneath the, uh, the sanctuary. And I think he knows about the listening uh, post situation, too. They probably actually all do know. So it's uh, it, in this episode, these Vulcans are not being truthful, and that's a little different. You know, the true Vulcan, Spock's gotten away with sort of lying before, but he's half human. But but the real Vulcans, you know, in general, are, are fairly honorable and don't don't deceive like that. But in this uh, in this time frame and in this situation, they are. So that that I thought was kind of interesting. The 
the way they basically decide to to accomplish their mission, like I said, Trip is able to get a signal to or accomplish their uh, getting out of the situation. Trip's able to get a signal to the Enterprise, and Malcolm and a, and a small security team beam down. Now, one of the things about Enterprise that they they did throughout their early seasons is that they avoided the transporter pretty much. It was supposed to be a new piece of technology. They even did an episode where the guy that invented the transporter came aboard Enterprise, and that was an interesting one, which I, I'll probably cover that one sometime. I thought that was a good episode. But the, the, the idea or the end of this is that the transporter is still, you know, even though it's been approved for human transport, people are a little leery of it. They're not really too keen. I think it'd probably be you know, similar to the first, uh, you know, jet airlines that could transport large groups of people, you know, and and air travel at first, I'm sure people were a little hesitant. There's people today even that, that don't like getting on a plane. And, you know, a similar thing here, there's a, definitely going to be with new technology. And here it's not even just an airplane where you're, you know, you're going up in the sky and then coming back down again. Here your your whole body and molecules are being disassembled and reassembled someplace else. And that's got to be a little bit leery and and I can understand uh, people's uh, apprehension on something like that. But this, um, the next clip talks about that. And there's there's a security guy that's not too uh, excited about beaming down uh, to uh, try to get a rescue for the for the captain and everyone. But he, well, I'll play the clip. No, it'll just scramble your molecules. Crewman, we've uh, heard stories, sir. It might not be safe. I've heard the same stories. Now get up here. Coordinates set? Aye, sir. Then energize before we change our minds. Yeah, so they uh, so they beam down. They uh, they managed to get into the catacomb area and sort of... Uh, create uh, the situation so they can rescue the others. Uh, there, there's an area they, they work their way through the catacombs to the upper level where Shran and the Andorians are hanging out and blast their way through, which uh, I'll get to that here in a minute. The um, thing I wanted to say more about the transporter, you know, I thought that was Gene Roddenberry originally with Star Trek was first um, being worked out. He didn't really want to spend time with, you know, making a, a, a spaceship that landed every week, uh, or, or having, you know, shuttlecraft coming down. He didn't want to deal with all that. And he thought the, the main thrust there and the main thing he was always worried about was the story itself and, and, and what was going on. And getting to place to place uh, down to a planet, he thought, well, how about if I just sort of zap them down there, you know, somehow, you know, using some kind of device. And then he came up with this idea of the transporter. And there's been a lot of stories in the last few years of, of scientists actually working on uh, not well, not basically. A, I wouldn't call it working on a transporter, but transporting or able to move very small, you know, nanoparticles or, or you know, just you know, small bits of matter and energy from place to place. And I, I guess I, I'm not completely up on the latest uh, on this story, but I think there was something even not that long ago, maybe a few months ago, where I guess they succeeded in moving some, you know, some very small small bit, I don't even call it matter, it was like, you know, an electron or, you know, a proton or something from one spot to another, but it, you could probably, I'm sure, find this all on the internet and that, and, you know, it's it's interesting, I, I, I was watching some movie the other day, oh, I, I, I know, and it was, 
it was some country and there was some uh, scene in Africa, in a country in Africa, where all these people basically had cell phones all walking around with them. They're, they actually didn't have very much good phone service in this country, but they all use cell phones. And when I watched this and they're all walking around the streets with their little you know, communicators out talking on them, I, I, all it looked to me like was, look at this, look at how much... Uh, you know, everyone is, is walking around with a Star Trek communicator in their back pocket or on their hip these days. And even a country in Africa that's it was pretty impoverished and doesn't have a lot of uh, technology, doesn't have a lot of, you know, wealth or, or anything. But, you know, it was simpler and cheaper for them to put up some cell phone towers rather than wiring up good old regular phones. You know, cell phones were a lot easier to deal with, put in put into place than, than a regular phone system was. So that's uh, that was kind of neat, and there, there's a lot of things like that uh, that have I think been uh, created from science fiction, Star Trek, and other shows, and you know that's uh, where inspiration comes from for people. Let's go on. There's a a short clip, another one here I've got, uh, which uh, just before the rescue attempt, there's a one of the Andorians is sort of taunting to Paul, and I, I wanted to play this one because I thought it was kind of a good little uh, back and forth here with to Paul and this Andorian about Vulcan mating rituals. So listen to this. I've heard about your mating rituals. That Vulcan women force their men to fight each other to the death. Would you like me to kill someone for you? Leave her alone. I guess uh, I guess it wasn't to Paul. She just kind of st- sat there and took it, and it was only Archer that said to leave her alone. And you know, he's uh, always looking out for his his crew people, his crewmen. You know, they, that was uh, of course hearkening back to the you know Amok time and the original series with uh, uh, Kuna Kalafi and all that stuff. The um, you know the whole plaque tau and, and blood fever that Vulcan males experience every seven years. They get that little urge. So <laughs> let's move on. The the rescue. Malcolm, of course, gets to bust in, blow some things up. So he's happy. He gets to take out a couple of Andorians and they finally get uh, get back uh, in charge. So we will, um, there's a um, a couple of the Andorians slip away. I think there's only really four that are down there at the time. A couple of them slip away down the catacombs, and a couple of them Malcolm manages to take out and get the Vulcans and Archer, Trip, and T'Pol released. So this is a, a clip right after that, right, right after they, they break uh, break in and get them out. Two of them got away. They went down into the catacombs. I hope you're pleased, Captain. You turned a place of solitude into a war zone. Where are the face pistols? Here, sir. wakes up. Stun him again. Let's go. I'm going with you. Violence is no longer our way. We must protect what is ours. Yeah, that uh, sort of uh, younger Vulcan there, the, the head guy doesn't want them to, to do anything, but the younger younger one wants to follow along. It kind of gives you the impression that he's the one that knew that the listening post was down below and that the older one maybe didn't. But again, I, I, I'm not convinced of that. I'm pretty convinced that all these Vulcans knew about it. I don't really see how that would be possible. And there'd be really no reason to keep it from uh, other Vulcans that are there on the planet. 
the to Paul though definitely does not know about this situation. She is she's actually kind of appalled by it, and it comes into play. The reason, one of the reasons I wanted to cover this episode is this one. Uh, it, it starts kind of this break of of her from from traditional Vulcans, from the high command that she's a part of, and and just to learn that Vulcans aren't quite as good and as maybe as honorable as she thought that they were, and maybe there are other ideas or other ways of doing things. And the fact that they've got this spy post here breaking this this sort of treaty that, that they have with the Andorians is uh, – it really bothers her, and, it, and it, she brings it up, and it comes up uh, a few times throughout the series. And it, again, is one of the reasons why she basically – slowly pulls away more from the Vulcans and goes more towards the human way of thinking and doing things and becomes a little more closely and tightly knit into Archer's crew and a lot more loyal to him really and and in the Federation or what becomes the Federation than to her home planet and Vulcan. The last clip, one last clip here for the episode. This one is when they discover the listening post, which is a really cool shot in the episode. I mean, there's it's kind of, uh, you wonder how they didn't really find this thing until they're running down the catacombs trying to get away from uh, Archer and, and everyone. They they stumble up upon this little area, and it, it must be shielded because they couldn't detect it with their sensors. But it's a huge thing down in the, uh, below the surface of the planet that is, uh, is somehow um, listening and being some kind of secret outpost there. And I don't really get or understand how something deep underground like that without arrays and and some kind of technology, things in orbit, satellites, something out there to do the actual transmitting of information and listening or whatever they do, uh, spying on the Andorians, that, that none of this was visible from, from the surface or from out in space where the Andorian ship is. But, yeah, I guess you sort of have to take that uh, to some degree or else they'd easily be able to find it. Maybe they could hide it or cloak it. I don't know. Uh, but this last clip is... It sets the stage between sort of an uneasy truce and alliance between the Andorians. So let me play the clip and I'll come back and, and wrap up the show. Violence in a sanctuary, Captain. Very disrespectful. Boy, did it feel good. All this time, they've been calling these monks liars and all this time they've been right. They've got enough equipment down there to see what any Andorian is having for breakfast. I've completed my scans. Give it to him. Sir. Give it to him. You got what you came for, now get out of here. How do we know you won't attack our vessel? The Vulcans violated your treaty. Your people ought to know about it. You have a problem with that? Your communicator. Tapalta Enterprise. Go ahead. The Andorian ship will be leaving the surface momentarily. They're free to go. Acknowledged. So there you have it. The the Andorians now are uh, in the debt of the humans, especially Shran with uh, 
his connection to uh, Captain Archer. Uh, it's um, it's a relationship that sort of evolves over the seasons. Uh, comes out a lot in uh, in seasons three and four. Uh, the Andorians eventually help the Enterprise help help Earth uh, with the Zindi in season three, and Shran helps Archer out quite a few times and in, in, in back and forth between them. And uh, this is the basically the start. You know, the the Andorians, the Vulcans, Tellarites, uh, uh, some of these races that the they are running into in in the early t- years of Starfleet here are the founding members of the Federation. So these these steps that they're taking uh, lead to uh, lead to the Federation, lead to the the United Federation of Planets in in Star Trek history, which uh, which is very instrumental, of course, in everything that takes place beyond that. And Captain Archer and this NX zero one Enterprise are very uh, important in that and uh, so it's a good episode uh in, you know it, it really uh it really shows a lot it gives you some insight to the andorians the vulcans and and the crew so i enjoyed uh, looking at it and i'm gonna take a quick break here come back with some collectible talk be right back hey everyone this is scott johnson from the extra life radio show you're listening to treks in sci-fi with my friend rico Okay, for this uh, this week's collectible uh, discussion and uh, information, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Jeff Job, who's a uh, Jedi Jeff on the Trek SF forums. He's uh, he's done a couple of reviews for us, and this one is a review on a Star Wars figure. Uh, this is a uh, a review of a Star Wars new 12 inch figure from Sideshow Toys, the Mace Windu figure. Uh, it's actually w- one of the figures is is of the the new 12 inch line from Sideshow that I didn't get yet uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, not that I don't like it. It's just they've they've been putting these figures out so so quickly. I've had a little trouble keeping up. I've got about five or six in my collection, but I didn't get the Mace Windu yet. So I'll, I'll be interested to hear what uh, Jeff has to say about Mace Windu from Sideshow. So here you go, turning it over to Jeff in his review of that figure. Hello Rico, this is Jeff, Jedi Jeff on the forums. Today I'd like to review a new collectible I received. It is the Sideshow Mace Windu. Mace Windu is one of my favorite characters from the prequels, so this was one figure I'd been waiting for and happy to receive. He came in a very nice package. Like most of the Star Wars Sideshow dolls, the boxes are very nice, and actually a lot of the Sideshow figures from the other lines as well have very nice boxes. He can be removed quite easily from this box, which is very nice, and also allows for a person to put him back into the box and display him in the box at a later date if they want it. This doll has plenty of articulation and can be posed in a lot of different ways, which is great. I really like that so that you can recreate some different uh, poses for Mace Windu, which makes it an awesome figure to have. As well, they send a lot of different accessories. They give you a couple different sets of hands that go with the poses. As well, you get some different lightsabers. You get the Episode 1 lightsaber and the Episode 2 and 3 lightsaber. The Episode 2 and 3 lightsaber has a bit more detailing on it, so I prefer that one. As well, it comes with the signature Mace Windu Pyrrhical Blade, which is great. 
the likeness that they have for Mace Windu or Samuel Jackson is great as well. It looks, I think this is the closest thing I've seen to a good sculpt of Mace Windu yet in any collectibles. And he's got some almost crazed looking eyes on him, which I think looks really great on him too. Makes him look really serious. The boots that they shipped with this Mace Windu too are very nice and very well detailed. And it's one of the first things I noticed about this figure when I took him out of the box. As well, the finishing on the clothes is very nice as well, and they fit this figure very well. About the only small complaint I have about it is that on the box and prototypes of the pictures, this tunic was more of an episode 1 or episode 3 color, and the one that they shipped with this doll was more of an episode 2 color. And I kind of liked, I was a little more impressed with the with the prototype color tunic, but this one looks great as well. I can't really complain because it's fairly close to what was seen in episode 2. As well, he's got a great looking belt which can hold lots of utilities in it and some of the different accessories that they ship with this doll as well can fit in this, in this belt. All in all, I think this is a great doll and if anyone's interested in the Sideshow collectibles, they should probably consider picking this one up as I think it's one of their best ones to date in the Star Wars line. Anyways, thank you for letting me review this new collectible, Rico, and back to your show. Thanks. Well, thanks, uh, Jeff, for that excellent review of the Mace Windu Sideshow Toys uh, action figure or doll, depending on uh, the way you want to, uh, to talk about it. Excuse me? Well, uh, sorry about that uh, uh, rude phone caller on this early uh, Sunday morning, folks. That'll be just about it for Treks in Sci-Fi this week. Uh, a couple of uh, things. Uh, next week, of course, we'll be back with another episode, uh, another weekend show. Again, as always, uh, may slip another small podcast in on the middle of the week. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Not uh, precisely sure on that yet. The next weekends, though, will probably be uh, on a Deep Space Nine episode, possibly Voyager. But uh, it's been uh, a little while since I've done Deep Space. I'm trying to basically rotate uh, throughout you know the, the the four main Star Trek series uh, TOS TNG uh, Deep Space Nine Voyager well I should say five uh, Enterprise did I say four excuse me and and then really six in a way because uh, a week from this Tuesday on November 21st the Star Trek animated series both uh, seasons of them come out in a nice D, a whole big uh, DVD pack uh, that will be released on November 21st so if you're somebody who is interested in that or haven't have maybe never seen or not seen all the Star Trek animated series, definitely look, look for that in your DVD, um, uh, your favorite DVD shop uh, or store in a week or so, at least in the States. Again, online you can find it, of course, and all that, uh, which will be good. And I will be covering some of those uh, once I pick up the DVD set of the animated series. I'll be covering some of those on the podcast in the very near future. Probably, eh, I don't know if I'll be able to do two in one because they're only half hour long, but we'll see how that works out. So until uh, next week, as usual, thanks everyone for downloading and listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. You can always email me at treksf at gmail.com. Call the voicemail line if you want to participate in the show, 206-88-TREKS. And uh, I'd love it if you visited the website or the forums. Uh, always doing some tweaks and changes to the website at treksf.com or Treks in Sci-Fi. 
and the forums there. We've got over 100 members, got a pretty good group going, and lots of discussions on a lot of sci-fi, geek topics, Star Trek, other sci-fi news and information, some some really good guys and, and women on there too. So don't uh, be shy. Join up today. So <laughs> until then, again, everyone, thanks for listening. This is Rico signing off for this week. I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. This has been a Rick Dosti production. This podcast, copyright 2006, all rights reserved.